Hey everyone, welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. My name is Dawn Hill and I'm the Love Sick Scribe. I did not start off with an excerpt today from a blog post, though I will be writing a blog post on this. Today, I wanted to spend some time listening to some audio clips of a message from two months ago. So we're going to be looking at a teaching on Matthew 13, and this message was given on August 2nd of 2021 in Atlanta, Georgia, at an Activate ATL prophetic pop-up. And the message came from Ryan Lestrange. Now, that name may sound familiar to you, and it, it is certainly familiar to me. I came across this message not even looking for it and decided to listen to it. And as I began to listen and to pause the video and to open my Bible to read the text referenced, I soon realized that an analysis would be good, as there are some questions I have and some concerns as I was listening. And this is intended to be objective, and it's intended to be without ad hominem attacks, uh, irrelevant comments. There, um, I'm not going to look at the entirety of that message, but there are things I actually went through and listened to that message in its entirety. And I also went through and went back and listened to those to certain areas several times to listen and to test them against Scripture. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, This is, again, this is intended to be objective. And so there are things I'm not going to cover. There were um, personal accounts during this sermon that were talked about, and those are irrelevant to Matthew 13. So I'm not going to be touching on those or talking on those because it would take a long time to do this podcast if I did so. I am mainly going to do this out of concern for those who may be listening to these teachings and having little to no understanding of the Word of God or even for the gospel of Jesus Christ for that matter. This is why I'm doing this podcast, so I want to make that clear first and foremost. This is to look at the teaching and as someone who was part of this particular not this church in Atlanta, but was part of a church that was very similar to this one. Um, There are main areas I will touch on and play for you. As someone who was part of a similar church that was planted by Ryan, I want to take a look at this message and to, to, to guide you back to the word and what it truly means. There are main areas I will touch on and play for you, and we will be looking at the Word of God in context, and this will be an in-depth episode, so I hope that you will listen to it in its its entirety, Uh, listen to it all the way through. Of course, that's what entirety means, but listen to it all the way through, evaluate it that way, and make sure that you're listening and that you're following all along in in your Bible, so that way you get the proper context, and you're also doing a study as well to make sure that the Word of God says what I'm saying it says. Here are some questions to consider in this analysis. These are questions that that come to mind when you're listening to whether it's an in-person um, message on a Sunday morning or you're listening to someone that you really love listening to that, that teaches the Word of God or ministers the Word of God or preaches. Here are some things to consider in this analysis. Would you come to the same conclusion taught in, in this message that Ryan gives about Matthew 13 while reading the Word for yourself? That's a, that's a fair question, and it's a legitimate question to ask, and it's a very important question to ask. Would you come to the same conclusion if you did your own Bible study, if you looked up references, if, if you spent time and even just reading the text straight out, would you come to the same conclusion that Ryan did while reading the Word for yourself? And the other question to ask would be, do you understand the Word of God better than you did before this message? These are things to ask and consider. And so having said that, I will play some clips throughout this, and we're going to look at the reference verses in more depth. Now, 
he picks up about an hour and 47 minutes into the service there with the word. And he's referencing Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17. I'm giving that reference to you because I can post the link. I will post the link to the full video, so that way you can take a look at it. You can make sure I'm not taking things out of context. And and to be fair, and this is going to be a critique, so this is being used with, with fair use under copyright laws. Now, Matthew 13, 10 through 17 Uh, He reads about this, and and I want to read this to you. Just read the verses that he reads, and then we'll look at this in more depth. Matthew 13, 10 through 17 says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would be healed. But blessed are your eyes. For they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. With that context, we're going to hear the uh, the message being presented, which he calls the prophetic lens. This is the title of the message. He's going to come at it from what's called the prophetic lens, and he's going to use it to explain Matthew 10 through 17 based on the parables. He relates it to the prophetic realm. In the in the context of what I'm telling you in 10 through 17, this is, this is what he's ministering. He relates it to the prophetic realm that the people don't understand what, what you understand or what the disciples understood, the secrets of the kingdom. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a little bit as we look at some of the, uh, listen to some of the clips and we begin to uh, analyze them and see it, what a scripture is saying about this. And it's important that you're going to be looking, we, you and I are going to be looking at other parts in scripture in order to get the context of this because you, you can't just take these seven verses and pluck them out and not talk about other verses that pertain to these passages of scripture without and get proper understanding. He talks about uh, redistribution Uh, during this time. He says he is not talking about money, but the prophetic in this aspect. And those that have more understanding when he, when he talks about verse 12, he's referencing verse 12 when he talks about that to the one who has more, uh, more will be given and he will have an abundance. So he says that he's, he talks about, it's referencing redistribution. He says he's not talking about necessarily money, but the prophetic and that quote, those who have more understanding are going to come into more impact end quote. He also says, quote, the prophetic grows the measure of the kingdom inside of you end quote. Uh, For verse 13, uh, when it says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. One of the things that he says for this is, quote, If you can't see and you can't hear, then you can't understand. Now, let me just say something here. There are some statements that may sound really good on paper, but what is the relevancy? The question is, what is the relevancy of them to this message? Are we getting better understanding by great sound bites or great quotes that are helping us to understand the scripture better? Those are just some things to ask, not just of, of 
him, but of in general. Are we are we getting a proper biblical understanding from anyone when we take a soundbite from them or we take a, um, a really catchy quote or anything that they say? Are we getting a better understanding of who Christ has con- conformed us to be by his spirit? Uh, we're getting a better understanding of the gospel. Are we getting a better understanding of the word of God? This is what we should be asking in general of anyone who is making statements rather than, you know, vague statements or statements that are shrouded in mystical verbiage or any, any such thing. We should be asking, well, does this help me have a better understanding of the word? Does this really testify of Christ? When he talks about verse 14, which I'm just reading these back to you so you get the context of them. When verse 14, he says, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. He re- And it's referencing Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And this is part of what Jesus is stating here is, is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And Ryan says that we need a prophetic lens and eyes to see and ears to hear. And he says the world needs a burning church, which I would argue and say, no, the world needs Christ. Yes, we are the church. And yes, uh, God uses us to minister his word. But what the world needs is Christ. They don't need us, but they need Christ. Uh, They need the gospel. That is what we are told to do, even in Matthew 28. Uh, the disciples were told to go into all the nations and make disciples. That is what we are to do as believers in Christ. We are to go and out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all that would hear. And God does the work within them. And we make disciples when people come to Christ, when they um, are born again believers, then they need to be discipled. They need to be, they need to be taught and trained up in the word of God to understand it. So that way they know the ways to walk. The Bible helps us to know in the way that we should walk. It's very important with this. So, you know, there's, there's these references of really building up in these services that I I sat in for a long time. And it's, it's really an emphasis on us on what we're going to do and our power and the authority that God has given us and the great and mighty exploits that we're going to do. And it seems like that there's far less of a focus and a centrality on Christ. Now, in these movements, like what I came out of, the gospel was viewed as elementary at times and what is needed are supernatural manifestations. So, And then this particular gathering, the service ends with a prophetic activation over the entire, um, the entire body that's gathered there with uh, speaking in tongues that are not translated, that the people being slain in the spirit, people having personal prophecy released over them from the prophetic team. So there, there's a lot that's, that's going on there at the end and that everybody is said to have been activated in the prophetic my question is when you have blowout services like this and it it's taught or said at some point whether or not even that night but in other when it said that the gospel was elementary and and wanting to to dive in more into the deeper parts of things and supernatural manifestations and such my question is has everyone there heard the gospel because there could be an um, an assumption that everybody there knows Christ and that we're just moving on to deeper things. But what if everybody there has not heard the gospel and there's an assumption that, you know, everybody's being prophetically activated, but what if there are 
people there that truly don't know Christ, but they, they think they do, but they've not really heard the gospel. The gospel's fundamental. And what is sad is that the foundation is lacking in, in many. So what are the supernatural things being built upon is the, is another question. I want to go in from here. I want to go in and talk about some of the things that I found about Matthew 13 and expound on that for you. So you have a good solid understanding before I play any clips, because I want to put the word of God at the, at the center of all this. I wanted to give you a little prelude to give you an understanding of where he's coming from and to help you to see that the title of this is, is from what he's saying is the prophetic lens. I did a little bit of Bible study on my own, and I want to share with you some of the things I came across. This is not my own thoughts. This, these are things I came across in study, in looking up study Bibles, in looking in commentaries, in looking in the word study dictionaries with for the Greek words, uh, in get to give you a foundation before we listen to any clips, and then we're going to analyze some clips and and ask some some um, legitimate questions, and. Again, no attacking. We're going to ask some legitimate questions here and try to understand what is being said and and to give a fair analysis of it. Matthew 13, when you read this in context, Matthew 13, actually, when you go back up to verse one, we need to have some understanding here because in order to, to say, well, you have to have a prophetic lens, the disciples were able to see and hear what Jesus said, which I actually want to say something about that. That's, that actually contradicts something that the scripture tells us. The parables um, is, are, is what we're going to be talking about here in the context of the purpose of the parables. And Jesus lays that out in 10 through 17 when he talks about it. And uh, then after that, he goes on to explain the parable of the sower, which is what is presented in Matthew 13, 1 through 9. And I'm going to read that to you here. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, and they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away." Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is what is said prior to verse 10. Jesus was sitting, and he's beginning to see the crowds gather, and he begins to speak to them in parables. And this is one of the ones we hear is the parable of the sower. Now, as we go, we see that Jesus tells the disciples the meaning of the parable beginning in verse 18. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures it for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So I want to give you some context. I know we skipped 10 through 17, but you've already heard 10 through 17. 
So verses one through nine, we hear that Jesus has a crowd that are gathering. He sees the crowds gathering and he begins to speak to them in parables. 10 through 17, the disciples come to him and they say, why are you speaking in parables to them? And he begins to explain to them, to you, to, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven are the things that the New Testament is going to be talking about, about the gospel and about the things of God and the and proper understanding. And it's even one of the mysteries, one of the great mysteries is the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus having another flock that belongs to him, but that they're going to come into that fold and that there's going to be one flock and one shepherd in John 10. So we see these references here. And we, we find that Jesus is telling them, and then he also goes on to tell them some, some difficult things to hear, some hard things to hear, such as from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, that there are going to be people that hear. This is a fulfillment of prophecy from hundreds of years before when Isaiah lived, that hearing they would not hear and seeing they would not see. They would have Christ in the earthly ministry before them, and he would minister to them, and he would teach them, and they would not hear and they would not understand. But the disciples had been given understanding. They had been given understanding, not because of a prophetic lens, as we're going to see as we go. So Jesus is tell, tells the disciples the meaning of the parable. Now, this parable is actually found in two other Gospels. It's found in Mark 4, verses 10 through 12, and it's also found in Luke 8, verses 9 and 10. In Mark 4, verses 10 through 12, he's speaking of spiritual forgiveness, which is the forgiveness of sins, right? Because Jesus came into the world to bring reconciliation, he came into the world to, he was the second Adam. He came to obey God. He came to not destroy or abolish the word, the law and the words of the prophets. He came to fulfill them is what he says in the gospel. According to John, he came to fulfill the law and the words of the prophets. He came to do what none of us could do. He was the perfect Passover lamb. He was the atonement for our sins, the perfect atonement for our sins in order so that the wrath of God would no longer abide on those of us who did not believe. Because when we do not believe in God, the wrath of God abides on us because we are in sin and rebellion against God. And this is what scripture tells us, that we are enemies of God, that we are enemies of the cross before we come to him and, and uh, repent of our sins and believe in him for salvation alone by grace through faith in Christ alone. When we do not know Christ and we are separated from Christ because of sin and rebellion that came into the world through Adam, then the wrath of God abides on us and there must be judgment. There must be judgment because God is a just God. But Christ took that payment, took that judgment upon himself on the cross and his death, burial and resurrection testify of the power of what he did on the cross in order to reconcile us back to the father. And then we become co-heirs with Christ. We become children of God. We're no longer children of the devil. And we are made new. We are, we are made new. And we are given this promise of eternal life that we can look forward to because of the resurrection of Christ, not just through his death, but also because of his resurrection. We must not forget that, that we have a glorious promise to look forward to of eternal life. A few things I want to look at here. And again, I know this is going to be a longer podcast, but please stick with me. And the word is is going to be so helpful to us. We have to look at a few other passages here. John chapter 9 verses 35 through 41 tell us, Jesus heard that they cast him out, and this is talking about the man that was born blind, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, 
and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. You may have been wondering, why are you reading John 9, 30? Because this is one of the passages that came to mind as an example when Jesus is talking about those you will see, but you will not, your eyes will not see, you will hear, but you will not perceive, you will not have understanding. This is an example of the Pharisees not seeing. Jesus was before them and their eyes were blinded and their hearts were hardened and they couldn't see Christ before them. But this man was able to not only physically see, but he also spiritually acknowledges. He, he, he understands and he begins to worship Jesus. It's a really important thing to recognize there. He says, Lord, I believe. He acknowledges Jesus as Lord and Savior, I believe, and he worshiped him. You don't worship a, just a man. You worship the living God. Just something to take note of there. In verse 36, excuse me, in verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Their sin remained. They saw and they did not believe. They did not acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so their guilt remained. They saw. They said that they did see, but they didn't. And so their guilt remained. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. And again, this is a fulfillment. Um, and we're going to see who is Isaiah talking to in Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But I hope that you're enjoying the study of the Word of God. And I think it's it's good to put this first and foremost before we put any other man or woman or anything like that. We need to be looking at the Word of God in the proper context. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. These verses say, At that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's a salvation passage, by the way, and that's a passage that was uh, I heard out of context in one of the services that I was in in Ryan's services a few years ago, used out of context, and God used that that particular verse, even though it was taken out of context, he used that verse to minister to me and to help to wake me up. And I'm thankful for that. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So again, these people are asking. They want Jesus to say plainly to them that he is the Christ. And Jesus is making it clear to them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. This goes back. It ties in with the, the parable of the sower. It ties in with the parables and why Jesus spoke in parables to these people and why he, why the disciples were able to, to get understanding because Jesus would explain the parables to them. Now, notice here, there is no passage in Scripture, by the way, when if we want to talk about the prophetic lens, 
why is it that Jesus had to explain the, the parable to the disciples? If they had a prophetic lens to understand, why did they even ask to begin with? If they, if they had supernatural, like spiritual understanding, this great prophetic understanding through a prophetic lens, there would be no need to ask Jesus why he spoke in parables. They would have already had that understanding. And furthermore, when you go through Matthew 13, uh, in starting in verse 18, there would be no need to Je- for Jesus to explain the parable. I'm trying to give you some things to ponder on and think about as you go through messages. Because to be fair, what happens in these types of services is that they can be massive blowout services. You're in the moment, you're in your emotions, you are in in the middle of everything that's going on and you feel a lot of things going on and you believe a lot of things are going on supernaturally. You believe a, a lot of what's being said. There's not much time to open your Bible and to read what the text really says. There's not a lot of time to sit there and ponder on it and chew on it and study it. So you're in the moment of this, and I want to be fair, you're in the moment of this, and there's no time. There's no time to sit there and to evaluate the scripture. So I've had an advantage in this and in going back, and I was not part of this service, but I've been part of services very similar to this. So now I have the advantage of taking an, uh, a video that's on YouTube and evaluating it taking time to pause it, taking time to open my Bible and to read. And that's what I would encourage. That's what all of us as believers need to be doing. Even if we've been in a corporate gathering is if there's questions that you have about something or you want to look at it in more in depth, then that would be a good thing, a good habit to get into is to take time to look at those passages in greater context. And so you have a greater understanding and you're growing in, in the richness of the word of God, that you are understanding the proper context of it so that you can know what it, you can grow in spiritual maturity so that you can know how to walk out this, this life that will glorify Christ in the way that the word says that it will. That's very important. Now, I looked up a commentary for uh, the in for Matthew 13, when it refers Matthew 13, 14, 15, when it refers to Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. And I want to actually read Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, because we need to get some context of this as well. Isaiah 6 is a very well quoted, frequently quoted passage, depending on where you've been going to church. Uh, I heard Isaiah 6, I heard songs about Isaiah in Isaiah 6 many times. This is when in the year that King Uzziah died and Isaiah is, he sees the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and all these things are taking place. The train of his robe fills the temple, the angels, the seraphim are around his throne and they are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shake at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah has, it's a type and shadow of a person coming before the Lord and realizing their uncleanness, their their sin before God. And Isaiah recognizes that, woe is me, for I am undone or I am lost. He says, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then we know that one of the seraphim actually comes from, with, a, with the tongs and a hot coal from the altar and touches his lips and he is cleansed. Again, this is a type and shadow of the cleansing of a believer, of a, a person that's coming to the Lord. Then we go to verse eight and it says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
Then I said, here am I, send me. Now, a lot of times we tend to stop at that verse because it sounds so glorious and so profound and magnanimous and and it's sending us off into great exploits and we want to elevate whether we mean to or not we're elevating ourselves when we think about this but this was isaiah we're not isaiah (laughs) okay and the reason why i say that you'll understand a little bit later why i say that because there's a reference in in ryan's sermon about uh, people being on the wrong side of the cross and i and i hear some discrepancies when he's ministering that probably some people didn't catch So we'll move on. Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And God says this to Isaiah, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and, and turn and be healed. And Isaiah goes on to ask him, how long, O Lord? And he says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be a bur- it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is failed. The holy seed is its stump. Now, that doesn't sound very pleasant, but Isaiah, in the context, even in Matthew 13, uh, the people that Isaiah is talking to are the people of Israel. It's the Jewish people that at that time that he's speaking about. And when you look in some commentaries, it is not just in the time of Isaiah, but it is seen through the years as they go on. And we're even seeing it in Matthew 13. This is in context talking about the people of Israel that would not see or hear. They would not understand. This was sent in, when we look at Isaiah 6, this is to minister judgment to the people. Again, I recall John 9, 35 through 41 that I read to you a few minutes ago. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. I want you to catch that, because this is what he's talking about. He's talking to the people of Israel that will not listen. He's talking about the people of Israel that will not see, they will not hear, they will not understand. The Israelites resemble the idols they have worshipped, according to a a specific commentator, that the idols that the, the people worshipped in Isaiah's time were blind, deaf, and heartless. But the section ends with hope. At the end of uh, chapter 6, Isaiah 6, verse 13, uh, part B, it says, the holy seed is its stump. This This is talking about Christ. The gospel is always in the Old Testament. And so this is something very important to understand. The Old Testament is not separate from the New Testament. The Old Testament was always talking about the gospel. It was always pointing back to Christ. Nobody else. It was always pointing back to Christ and pointing back to the reconciliation, the redemption for God's people, a set-apart people that was um, God's own possession to be set apart for them, Him, for Him to be holy and set apart for Him, to be sanctified unto Him, to worship Him. Concealing God's Word from outsiders occurs only after they have freely and repeatedly rejected it, and it can always be disclosed again if they repent. That was a quote that I actually got from a, a commentary. It says, Concealing God's word from outsiders occurs only after they have freely and repeatedly rejected it. It can always be disclosed again if they repent. The word is concealed to some people. And that's God's doing, by the way. God has a part in that. He is concealing it to people for a reason. If the word had not been concealed, Jesus would not have been crucified. And then they would have made him the king over Israel as they wanted to overthrow Rome. 
That's what they wanted. They wanted a king. They wanted an earthly king. But Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His kingdom is not of this world. He told that he's told Pilate that in John 18. So if, if God had not veiled their eyes, they would have, and hardened their hearts, they would not have crucified Jesus. And the, the gospel would not, the atonement for sin and such would not have been fulfilled. So I know that that's a hard pill to swallow and to think about, but this is the fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah, first and foremost, when you're talking about the context of this. Again, it has nothing to do with the disciples having a prophetic lens because the disciples didn't fully understand. They had to have the parables explained to them and they had to ask. And even in Mark chapter 4, we, we see this, that they had to have it explained to them in Mark 4, verses 10 through 12. It says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them in verse 13, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And he begins to explain the parable to the sower. So why ask a question if you already have the, the understanding through a prophetic lens? The answer is that has nothing to do with, with, what, with any of that. They asked because they did not understand. But God was going to give them the understanding. Jesus Christ gave them the understanding. He explained it to them. In Mark 12, 12, we see the opponents of Jesus perceived the parable of the tenants that was against them. So we see people that they did not fully understand, but there were people that were against Jesus that perceived that one of the parables that he was saying was against them. That had nothing to do with a prophetic lens. So when we get a proper understanding of scripture, it's very helpful to us because it keeps us on the proper path of truth. We must go back to the Word of God. The, the Word of God should take precedence over anybody else's books that they've written, over any other teaching, over any other uh, personal revelation, any dreams, visions, anything else like that, any prophetic, quote, prophetic words, and any sort of personal opinions. None of that takes precedence. None of that is superior. What is superior is the proper understanding of the Word of God. The disciples, there was no, quote, prophetic lens that they were going to be able to see and to understand everything. God had to explain it to them. He had to teach them. And he knew everything. And there were even things that the disciples still did not fully understand. They still did not fully grasp about Jesus until after he died and was resurrected. Now, Jesus spoke in parables as an instrument of judgment. They demonstrated both God's sovereignty and human responsibility that exist at the same time, without contradiction. And if the people were to see and hear with understanding and denied him, there would be further condemnation. The use of the parables was an instrument of mercy. We need to be looking at it that way. These, these parables were used as an instrument of mercy for those that would see but would not perceive, that they would hear but they would not understand. These things were veiled to those that would not believe and would not understand as a way of mercy. And it was also a, as judgment on people. When I looked at the uh, Complete Word Study Dictionary for uh, parables, it says, For unbelievers, understanding and refusing to believe increases personal responsibility and the consequent execution of God's justice at the end. 
First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14 has this to say that I think will add to our study of this before we dive into the analysis of Ryan's word. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14 tells us the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, this is talking about someone who is not born again and does not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them after salvation takes place. They're not, they're not transformed by God. There is no change in them. There's no change of their heart. They've not been transformed and been washed clean by the righteousness of Christ, by the blood of Christ who was shed, that was shed for us for our sins, by the way. And we'll talk more about that, too. And so having said all of this and having a better understanding of the scripture in this context and understanding the parables, the purpose of the parables, let's go in and talk about more of this message that Ryan had ministered in August, on August 2nd of this year. At the one hour, 52 minute mark, he makes a, a statement that says, quote, it is possible to be spirit filled and born again and to be prophetically blind and deaf. Uh, the argument could be made that when you're born again, you're already, you are spirit filled. Now, spirit filled, uh, and I've done a study on this before too, but when you actually look at what the Bible says about being spirit-filled, it's not the evidence of speaking in tongues. What spirit-filled actually is talking about is growing in spiritual maturity. Ephesians 5.18 talks about this. There are other areas in the New Testament that are talking about this. When you even look up the word filled, there's two different types of word filled that you'll see in Acts. The one, for example, in Acts 2 that talks about being filled this is actually referencing a one-time event. It's in a particular uh, tense in the Greek, and it's for a one-time event. And you see this consistently through Acts. When Stephen was filled, when, when others were filled and they were ministering by the Spirit of God, they were filled for a work of service in that particular instance. Now, Ephesians 5 actually talks about being filled in a different way, and this is alluding to, it's a continual process, and it's alluding to spiritual maturity, growing in spiritual maturity. So being spirit-filled is not based on something you do, it's something that the Holy Spirit does in you, and that you are being conformed even more into the image of Christ. If it is based on anything that we do, then it is becoming works-based and it is becoming centered around us. Yes, we do have responsibility for the things that we do. We do have a part to play in that. But ultimately, what happens is, is that it is the work that God does in us and he gets all the glory for it. He gets all the credit for it. And we re reap rewards at the end of our life from uh, before the Lord when we have done the good works that we were created for, not that they saved us, but that we did good works to glorify God and to honor him. As far as being spirit filled, though, this has to do with a continual growth of spiritual maturity, of the fruits of the spirit being demonstrated in your life and so on and so forth. This study is not about that. So another another topic for another time. But I encourage you to look into that and what it truly means to be spirit-filled because making this distinction, it makes a dichotomy of people. So it's saying, well, it is possible to be spirit-filled and born again and to be prophetically blind and deaf. But this is not, again, this is not what Matthew 13 is saying. So I just want to reiterate that and please keep thinking about what we just studied in the context of Matthew 13 and what this message is going to be saying about the prophetic lens. Ryan goes on to quote John 10 27 and again that is my sheep hear my voice I know them and they follow me this is misappropriated uh, in this in this particular gathering it, and, and it's a used in such a way to hear the voice of God that we need to be hearing the voice of God for ourselves. Uh, I'm paraphrasing what he's saying there but essentially when a lot of people in these movements use John 10 27 they use it in the 
and, and it happens in other places as well, but uh, other movements, it doesn't always have to be charismatic or hyper charismatic. But when John 10 27 is used, it's used in the sense of we need to be hearing the voice of God for ourselves. We need to be growing and hearing his voice for ourselves. That's not what Jesus was saying. When you read this in context, as I did several minutes ago, you see that this is talking about salvation. This is a salvific passage of scripture. And it's not about hearing God's voice for yourself. He makes a statement saying he wonders if we are holding back what God wants to do because of not prophesying. I want, I want you to ponder on that statement. What kind of God is that that we can hold back what God wants to do? And th these statements, and I've made these statements too over the years and, and had to repent of them. These statements are made to... I don't, I don't know exactly why these statements are made. I don't know why it was ignorant on my part, honestly, to say such things. But when we say we are holding God back, or we have to give God permission, or we have to give the Holy Spirit permission, or we have to, or, and, and God is waiting on us to do something, I'm wondering what, I'm wondering what kind of God that we have, we've created, because it seems like we've created a God in our own likeness in our own sensibilities in our own understanding which that understanding ironically enough when I listen to this message and I don't mean to be to to be sarcastic when I say this but it seems quite lacking as far as understanding the prophetic meaning of this the, the parable there almost seems to be a blindness and a deafness going on here uh, when I listen to this message of not understanding this parable in the proper context even though the, con the context of Matthew 13 to the parable was to the Jewish people at that time. There seems to be, there seems to be a deafness and a blindness. There's no prophetic lens to really see the proper context of this message. And I want you to take that into consideration with all sincerity. He says, because we have not had a prophetic lens that God has not been able to talk to us the way he wants to talk to us. Scripture, uh, chapter and verse is what I, the question I would ask. Chapter and verse, please, to prove this statement. We have not had a prophetic lens. Because we've not had a prophetic lens, God has not been able to talk to us the way he wants to talk to us. Well, what is the word of God then? There are many times that you will hear people reference scripture in order to, to validate almost or justify their teaching, but there's not really a high view of scripture, meaning this is God speaking through his word. There are and people are going to say, well, men wrote the Bible. No, there are actually two authors, really, when you think about it. There's God, who is the ultimate author. We see in 1 Peter that Peter makes it clear, or excuse me, 2 Peter, that Peter talks about how these men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that this is a more sure word of prophecy. The scriptures are. We can be certain that these, this is a more sure word, of, which is scripture. More certain than any experience that Peter ever had or you and I will ever have. More certain than anything that we think we hear the audible voice of God or we hear the internal voice of God within us. Greater than anything like that. This word, this Bible, was left to us to give us instruction and understanding. This is how, if you've really heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ, this is how you heard it. It was through the written word of God. It wasn't through man's understanding. It wasn't through man's opinion. It wasn't through man's personal testimony of what God did for them, although that's, those are great to share and they glorify God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's Jesus coming as the spotless lamb of God before the foundations of the earth. He was the, the lamb that was slain. 
He comes to reconcile man to God because of sin and rebellion that entered the world, because of disobedience, which is rebellion against God. And sin entered, and because of that, spiritual death entered. And Jesus came to reconcile us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to make a way to, for reconciliation back to the Father, to be children of God once again and no longer be children of wrath. And to say that we, you know, God has not been able to talk to us the way he wants to talk to us. Again, what type of God is this that he can't talk to us the way any time? If, if you hold to the belief that he still talks outside today and gives extra biblical revelation, is he not God? Is he not omnipotent, all powerful? This seems to limit God. This type of teaching puts God in a box that is not biblical understanding. When we say, well, God can't do anything without us. God has to have permission to do things in the earth. Really? God has to, God has to, God can't do what he wants because we're not doing this, this, and this. If we can say such things, then it's really concerning to me that there is not a proper understanding of who God is. And again, I'm coming from this as a, as a person who was in this movement that talked, that used the same lingo, that, that talked this way, that thought this way, that, and still loved the Lord, but was saying things that was dishonoring God, was not testifying of the true and living God who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and who is the Alpha, the Omega. He don't, knows no other God before him or after him. This is the God of the Bible. When I hear things said like this, or I hear some of the other things that are said about, you know, taking trips to heaven and, you know, things I talked about a couple weeks ago, I don't know who that Jesus is. I don't know that God that's being talked about when it said, well, God can't do anything because we haven't done what we should do. I don't know a God like, I don't know that God because that God is not found in scripture. And that may sound like a harsh thing to say, but that's something we need to be thinking about. We need to make sure that we have a high view of God, a high view of Christ, a high view of the Holy Spirit, who are one God, three persons, and that we have a high view of his word. We are not worshiping his word. I'm worshiping the one that the word is testifying of. That's who I'm worshiping. And the word is to be our foundation that we that we glean from in order to understand truth. As we go back to Isaiah uh, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, uh, we see cross-references here that can be found in Matthew 13, verse 14 and 15. You can also find Isaiah 6, 9 and 10 referenced in John chapter 12, verse 39 and 40. You can also find this referenced in Acts chapter 28, verses 25 through 27, when Paul is talking in Rome and he's giving his case before the Rome, the Roman judge, I believe, the Roman court. And he's telling, again, he's telling of this passage in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 that they will not hear and they will not perceive. God prophesied about Israel not hearing or seeing. This was to Israel. It wasn't because they didn't have a prophetic lens. It was because God had caused them not to see or to hear. And Jesus said he came to the lost sheep of Israel first, but many rejected him. Now, one of the clips I do want to play for you, and you've probably been going, when are you going to play a clip? I'm going to play this clip for you, and as I play this clip, the focus on self and us doing our our ability is really what's on display here, and saying that it's time for people to prophesy. So we're going to start at the one hour, 53 minute mark. 
needs a burning church. They need a church on fire. We've got to have a prophetic lens. We've got to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Why? Because when you're blind and when you're deaf, you cannot understand. And it is possible to be spirit-filled and born again and still be prophetically blind and deaf. Jesus said, I cannot talk to them in fullness. I've got to only tell them a story because they can't handle what I want to pour out. I wonder if we are holding back what God wants to do because we've said, I'm not prophetic. I don't prophesy. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm not all that deep. Can I tell you that being prophetic is not that deep? Romans tells us it is the portion of sons and daughters. He said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. When I sit at the table with Abba, I hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. We have misterized the prophetic and made it so impossible, but it is supposed to be normal. The church should have eyes that see and ears that hear. But because we've not had a prophetic lens, God has not been able to talk to us in the way he wants to talk to us. And so we hear sermon, principles, points but we don't understand and when you don't understand you can't function all right so i'm going to stop there for just a, a, a little bit so the focus again it seems like it's is as if it's on self and us doing and our ability and that it's time for the people to prophesy you kind of get an idea of what's being said there and and i had mentioned some of the the statements he made a few minutes ago so that you do have the um that the, the those indeed were said and so you can get the the sound bite from those. Uh, he goes on a few minutes later to say that we need a John the Baptist anointing. And I'm not going to get into that, but I did want to mention that for the sake of this. And um, when he goes on, he references the word uh, being shut up in his bones like a fire. Now, if you've read the Bible, you know that the reference of the fire being shut up in your bones, this is talking about Jeremiah. In my understanding, it's not a good reference because he is basically, he is not saying what God wants him to say, or he doesn't want to say the things that God wants him to say because Jeremiah was known as the weaving prophet. And he, he, um, was one of the prophets of the old Testament that was calling the people to repent. He was calling the people again. This is a type and shadow of the gospel, calling the people to repent and telling them about the judgment of God that was coming. This is not uh, by the way, this is not foreign to the New Testament. I mean, you can see this. Read Revelation. Read in Acts when the the tongues are a sign for the unbeliever and when true tongues came to the people of Israel. It was a sign of judgment. It was a sign of to them of judgment, of the, the judgment of God coming to them. And this is hearkening back to Isaiah 28. So that's just an example. But there's references that you're going to hear. I'm going to play one here in just a little bit. But there's a reference to not being um, that we're not Elijah, which I would agree with that. We're not Elijah, just like we're not David, just like we're not Moses, just like we're not anybody. We're not Esther. We're not anybody else that's in the Old Testament. We can be encouraged by those people. We can glean from them. I do agree with him on this. We're not Elijah. He's going to talk about this in just a moment. But I find some um, some contradicting statements being made because when I listen, he's talking about, you know, the word is like it to him is like the fire shut up in his bones, like a fire that's referencing Jeremiah. I'll get to that in just a minute, but I'm, I'm saying this so you can kind of understand where I'm going to be going with this in just a little bit. So why did Jesus say they cannot hear him? Uh, it has nothing to do with not hearing modern prophecy. 
again, we've already talked about this. They couldn't hear because they were not given the ability to hear from God. And it was to bring judgment and also to uh, show God's sovereignty, human responsibility. And it was to extend mercy to those that would not hear. To veil the to bring parables that would veil the truth to those that would not hear, it kept them from further condemnation. It has nothing to do with hearing modern prophecy. Now, as we go on about the hour and fifty nine minute mark, I'm going to play another clip for you. Let's uh let's go ahead and listen to that clip. I speak to them in parables because Isaiah said, "Hearing they shall not hear." Seeing they shall not see. This people's heart is waxed, gross, their ears dull, their eyes closed. Less than any time they see with their ears, watch this, and hear with their hearts. I'm back in Matthew 13, verse 15. And should understand with their heart and should be converted. And I should heal them. Watch this. The prerequisite of conversion is hearing and seeing. I can't move into a new space until I see differently. I can't move into another dimension until I hear differently. He said, the enemy is fighting them to oppose their sight. Let me propose to you the hell you went through is not about your money. It's not just about your mind, although your mind is important. It's not just about your family, although your family is important. Let me propose to you that the hell you've been through in the last 30, 60, 90, 120 days was about something more than that. The enemy wanted to distract you and confuse you. Why? Because if you began to hear, if you began to see and understand, it would lead you to a place of conversion. Let me say it another way. Transformation. I'm no longer who I was before I heard. I'm no longer who I was before I saw. I'm no longer who I was before I was led. I'm no longer who I was before the Lord spoke to me. Because when you hear, there's conversion and there's healing. Watch this verse 16. But blessed, ah, blessed are your eyes. Ah. So there is a reference uh, in this particular passage that he alludes to the prerequisite of conversion is hearing and seeing. And uh, that the devil opposes the people in their in their hearing. He's fighting them in their in their hearing and their seeing. Where does it say in this passage that the devil is opposing them in their in their hearing and their seeing? I, I must I apparently missed that in in the verse, but I, I can't find that in the verse. I can't I can't find that reference in the verse that the devil is the one that's opposing them in their seeing and their hearing. Again, this is a prophecy from hundreds of years before Christ was uh, born into the earth as all truly God and truly man. Food for thought. He goes on to talk about that Jesus is bridging two worlds in the Old Testament and New Testament. He talks about Adam. He says that Satan came after the one thing, which was relationship. Yes and no, he came after relationship, but ultimately it had to do with being obedient to God because Adam was not a little God. Adam was given dominion and authority over the earth by God, but he was under authority. God was the ultimate authority and Adam was under the authority of God and he disobeyed God by listening to his wife who listened to the the serpent. That's the order of creation, by the way. And so we see this in New Testament that as believers, we are under authority. Yes, we do have certain levels of authority, whether husbands have authority in, in their marriages, 
uh, with the wife and children that we see the apostles, the, the true apostles that are in scripture. They had authority in the, the church to establish the scripture, to establish the teachings. This is, by the way, in Acts, when it talks about that the people devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. This is what we are to do. The Bible is apostolic. We are to devote ourselves to the teaching of scripture because it is the truth. It is founded on the foundation, according to Ephesians 2.20, of the apostles and the prophets, which the apostles would be those that were apostles of Christ, that fulfilled the prerequisites for being an apostle of Christ, and the prophets of the Old Testament who testified of Christ. This is the foundation upon which Scripture rests. That's the foundation, because you can't build another foundation. It's only built once, and it doesn't need to continue to be built, because we as the church are built upon that foundation now, and we are continuing to be built upon that foundation if we understand the Word of God in its truth, in the truth it presents. So he says that Adam, um, that he talks about um, that he came for one thing, which was a relationship. That's, again, I would say a yes and no. I would agree, but also add to that or, or disagree in the sense that it was ultimately obedience. That Adam disobeyed God, he rebelled, and it did affect his relationship. Uh, Romans five twelve through 21 uh, tells us about sin coming into the world through one man who was Adam, but the Old Testament is pointing to Christ, who is the second Adam. Um, it goes on a little bit further. This is the part I wanted to talk to you about, about the old, the reference to the Old Testament. He says that, you know, people want to have meetings and be Elijah, and he says, you're not called to be Elijah. I would agree. Well, I'm not Elijah. Um, Ryan's not Elijah. No one else is Elijah. And I'm not David. No one else is David. And and we're not Esther. We're not Deborah. We're not Moses. We're not anybody else. uh, Elisha or Jeremiah or anybody. Okay, we're not. And I agree with that. However, he goes on to say, you're not called to be Elisha because he was on the wrong side of the covenant and he should not be your role model. So my question is, he and others have teachings that are called the Elijah Mantle. He actually did one a few months ago, if I'm not mistaken. When I started doing a little bit more digging and research, he started. He he did one on the Elijah Mantle. He had a roundtable talk, and it was called the Elijah Anointing or the Elijah Mantle. Um, why is he quoting um, Jeremiah saying that he has a fire shut up in his bones? He's not Jeremiah. Uh, Why does he have teaching on Elijah's mantle? Why do other of these ministers have teaching on Elijah's Elijah's mantle uh, if we're not caught, if we're not supposed to be Elijah? You see what I'm saying? There's, uh, it's almost like a, we're not catching it. We need a John the Baptist anointing. Well, technically John the Baptist was, uh, he was prophesied of in the Old Testament. He was the one that would prepare the way for the, for the Lord. He was the one that would testify of the Lord. John the Baptist was still an Old Testament prophet. Was he on the wrong side of the covenant? See, these are questions that we should be asking. Again, I don't mean this in a rude or sarcastic way, but these are legitimate, honest questions that we should be asking. If someone's making a statement and saying, well, they're on the wrong side of the covenant, you're not called to be Elijah, then I would say, well, you're not Noah. Because there's a statement that's going to be made later that he's realizing that he's like Noah and that he's in an ark and that he's just riding on the waves during the pandemic and everything that's going on and that he's going where the the, the waves take him based on God and the favor. And again, you're not Noah. So there shouldn't be statements made to say, well, you're not Elijah, but I can say I'm Noah. But Noah was on the other side, not the wrong side. There was no wrong side because those in the Old Testament, they were saved. Because of their faith in in God, 
because of their belief in the one that was to come. They were always looking forward to that. There are examples like this, and he's not the only one. So I don't want to be, I don't want to pick on, on particularly him, but I do need to use that as an example. He's done teachings on this. Um, I've sat in teachings where he's done teachings on this and about the mantle of Elijah and Elisha and how we need to be grabbing these mantles that are left behind. At the two hour and four minute mark, he talks about a a particular problem. So let's talk about that for just a minute. And I hope that this is, this is helping you and that you're getting some biblical understanding out of this and learning how to test things against scripture. This is his job description, reconcile men to God. That's it. Every prophet was prophesying what Jesus was going to do, but there was a problem. Romans 8, 14 was not written to that generation. God had to lead Moses through a physical fire because if he had lived in Moses, Moses would have dropped dead. Got as close to Moses as he could through the glory, and Moses was shining with the glory of God. Elijah comes, works miracles, but God is still leading him from the outside. Jeremiah comes with a message. God is leading him from the outside. Elisha comes for the double portion. God is leading him from the outside. John the Baptist comes in and Jesus is standing, but Jesus is peculiar because he's the sum total of the law and the prophets. Okay, so he he makes a reference to Romans 8, 14. He says there's a problem because Jesus came to reconcile man to God. He says that Jesus had one job, and that was reconcile man to God. Technically, if you say the use of the word job, and this could be really nitpicky, but using the word job there is not the best wording for saying that's, that's what Jesus came to do because he was not just a man. And I heard this several times through this message. He kept saying he was a man, that he did these things. Yes, he was a man, but he was, it was a hypostatic union. He was truly God and truly man. We cannot negate the fact that this was God in the flesh doing what no other man could do in reconciling man to God. And it was not a job because a job would imply that you can be fired from it or let go if your uh, work or your production before God is, is not is subpar. And we know that what Jesus did was, was perfect. He was perfect in all of his ways. So just a technicality there. Anyway, do you know what is fascinating about Romans? The references to the Old Testament and talking about faith in God and salvation. And how were those in the Old Testament saved? As I mentioned, they were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Romans 4, even I was listening to a Bible study the other day, and I thought it was so fascinating that uh, there was a mention of Romans 4, and, and this minister was talking about how Paul did not use a New Testament example to talk about faith. He actually used an Old Testament example. He used Abraham in Romans 4. It tells of Abraham and using him as opposed to a New Testament example of faith and righteousness appointed to him. Hebrews 11 tells of numerous people in the Old Testament who believed God and who looked forward to a better country. That's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 and 40. So the typology is all throughout the Old Testament. There is no problem because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those in the Old Testament who were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, even before Christ came into the world, which is how they were saved, still because they trusted in God, they are sons of God. And they were led by the Spirit of God. In essence, they were led by the Spirit of God. Now, there is, you know, there's the teachings that people will say, well, the Old Testament was different because the, the Holy Spirit came upon people as opposed to now he indwells in people. There could be some differences with that. But the, still, the point of the matter is, is that you're seeing Old Testament, the people before Christ came into the world to reconcile people, to bring the ministry of reconciliation. You're seeing before the cross, before Christ came, that people are still being saved 
by grace through faith in Christ alone. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 and 40, I actually do want to read that because it's a, that whole passage is very, it's a, it's beautiful. This one particular passage I want to read to you after it talks about all the saints in the Old Testament, those that had faith in God and that they were looking to a better country and that they were, they knew that they were foreigners in a strange land and that they were looking to a heavenly country. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 and 40 says this, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we, and, and it goes on in chapter 12, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, which that has nothing to do with them, them looking at us and cheering us on, they're worshiping the Lord. This is to testify of the cloud of witnesses that are showing these are the same. These people believed in God. And so because they did this and their faith was in Christ, their faith was in God, and they were looking toward the coming time of the Messiah. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and his seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen and amen to that. Ryan goes on to talk about, he says, the problem in, in their inability, the people's inability in Matthew 13 to see and to hear with the people and the disciples could, could see and hear because they were under the mantle of Jesus. They were under the umbrella of Jesus. Once again, I'm going to say to you, they did not fully understand the parable. Jesus had to explain the parable to them and they asked the question, what the, why that he spoke in parables? Because they didn't even understand that. So their understanding, they did not have a prophetic lens. It had, again, it has nothing to do with that when you look at the context of it. Quote, and he says, quote, they were standing near a physical fulfillment of a spiritual reality. Again, another great soundbite. Uh, the, the two questions I asked you at the beginning, could, would you read Matthew 13 and come back saying, oh, this is talking about a prophetic lens without him telling you that? And secondly, do you understand the Bible better after hearing, after sitting in this service or ha after listening to maybe some of the audio clips, or maybe you take time to listen to the whole thing. It's going to be about a, it's, I think it's about a three hour and 15 minute long video, but an hour and f uh, 30 minutes or so of that is worship at the beginning. And then he goes in and is promoting his products and his books and other people's books and such. And then he goes on into the word and then there's the offering and then the prophetic activation that's taking place and people min being ministered over and, you know, it's about three hour and 15 minutes, but his ministering is about 45 minutes roughly in the middle of all that. Do you understand Matthew 13 better after listening to it? I, that's a question I want you to continue to ask yourself. Let's keep going on. He goes on about the two hour and seven minute mark. He says, uh, here's where our lens is messed up. We're still trying to be led as Elijah was led. Elijah was led by the spirit of God. He wasn't led by himself. He was a, a fallible man in need of God's mercy and grace. And how are we any different? James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So in this context here, it's talking about the prayer of faith. Um, and prior to this, it says, therefore, con confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the prayer of a righteous person, um, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours is what it says. That should give us comfort that, that Elijah was a fallible man and he was in need of God. 
that that's one of the things we can take care take from that and that he was led by the spirit of god and there were times that he wasn't led by the spirit of god that he uh, was led by his own emotions and his own uh fallen flesh he was uh he was in need of god's mercy and grace and that we are no different this is helping us to understand we are no different than elijah in that we are all fallible all sinful and all in need of a of a savior all in need of mercy and grace from god Ryan goes on and he says um, they've been learning the principle in his own life. He talks about the pandemic and the things that they've learned and the losses they've they've suffered from that and such. And um, that that God would not tell God would tell him not to go to certain places and minister. And he you'll find in, in his particular teachings and, and in some other people that you listen to. Um, but in his particular teachings, there's a lot of uh, fillers as far as personal accounts of him testifying of himself and. It almost seems like that he is uh, putting more of the focus on himself and uh, and and elevating uh, his ability to hear God, his ability to follow God and to, to prophesy pr- correctly and to, to not falter when God tells him not to do something and this and this and this. There's a lot of personal accounts that you'll hear in this. Again, there are a lot of ministers that do this and not that personal testimonies when it's really glorifying God. Uh, is not valuable. The question is when there's a lot of personal accounts and it's really focusing more on self, who's being glorified here is the question. Um, So anyway, he's talking about this and this is where he makes this Old Testament reference that is disputing what he said, I think four or five minutes prior to this. He says they've been learning the principle of Noah and that they are sailing on an ark uh, through uncharted territories. Uh, wasn't Noah on the wrong side of the cross or wrong side of the covenant? According to what he said, that would be a question that, that I would pose. He talks about the prophetic lens again, he, and he shares his personal accounts, which I'm not playing clips of that because it, it does go on for quite a while. That started about the two hour and 12 minute mark. And then uh, the two hour and 20 minute mark, I do want to play that so you can hear that in context. God loves everybody, but it doesn't mean I'm supposed to be connected to them. This is not an hour for opportunists. Oh, I want to be an apostle. You want to get killed? Oh, I'm apostle so-and-so, and I, and they got to do this and do that. Apostles and prophets are the foundations. You know where the foundation of this building is? It ain't up there. It's not here. It's down here. People are walking on the foundation. You got to be walked on. You got to get poop from the shoes on you. You got to be nasty. You got to be stinky. You got to be used. You got to be abused. They're going to get angry. They're going to reject you. They're going to oppose you. Demon rulers are going to come against you. Churches aren't going to understand you. People are going to turn on you. God's going to show you truth. And when you preach it to the church, they're going to get angry. Don't tell me you're an apostle. And you're mad because somebody blocked you on Facebook. Oh, I'm a prophet. Because I have dreams. That don't mean you're a prophet. That don't mean you're a prophet. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord lives in you so he can communicate any way he wants. Going to my prophetic school or someone else don't mean you're a prophet. You know what means you're a prophet when demons listen to you? When hell is threatened by your presence. 
when you just walk in a place and someone manifests before you open your mouth when everywhere you go they hate you when devils are stirred against you when religious folk are trying to kill you shut your mouth shut your mind shut your money shut your family but there's something on the inside of you burning and when you lose everything the word of the lord is still in you fire still in you burning still in you revival still in you that's when you're a god called prophet you ain't a prophet because you had two dreams and called a name you're a prophet when you're unstoppable i'm gonna stop with that I played a little bit of that of the Apostles and Prophets because I wanted you to, to hear a little bit of that. And I'm sorry for the, the loud volume because he kind of gets <laughs> loud at times when he's ministering. So I apologize. But you'll hear him saying, I'm a prophet. Uh, when people say, I'm a prophet, of course, the whole thing of saying, you know, you want to be an apostle. Do you want to be killed? The first century apostles, 11 of the 12 apostles of Christ were killed. John, uh, the, John the Revelator, um, the apostle John, was the only one that died of, of natural causes of old age. The rest of them were martyred, including Thomas. He was martyred in India. They were martyred for the sake of Christ. But he talks about this, and then he talks about how, you know, as an apostle— because he believes in modern day apostles, that the apostles today are going to be uh, mocked and that that people are going to say things about you. And of course, demons are going to rise up against you. And some of these people actually believe that when you speak against or ask questions or speak things, uh, speak against them in such a way that you're not agreeing with their teachings or uh, questioning their authority in the, in that capacity that, um, that you're persecuting them. And that's not persecution. That's called uh, being a Berean, and it's called it's called testing things against Scripture or asking questions. I wish I had known more at the time a few years ago. I wish I had known what I know now to ask better questions. But at the time, I was just ill prepared, honestly, and realizing something was not right. Realizing realizing certain things that that uh, from Scripture that were just not right that were being taught. But I just was ignorant. I was biblically illiterate and ignorant at that time. So I thank the Lord, though, that now that I do have a better understanding and continuing to grow in that understanding, realizing I have not arrived in my understanding of the Word. I will never arrive in my understanding of the Word. But what I do understand now, I want to use for the benefit of others and that God is glorified through that. So you hear this teaching that's alluding to apostles being used and abused. Yes, they were in the first century church, but they laid the foundation. They laid the foundation, as I said, Ephesians 2.20, the apostles and prophets have laid the foundation, which we find in scripture. The things that are being trying to be laid today, we don't need another foundation. We don't need apostles and prophets today. That's already been established in the word of God. And Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. And you can find that in Scripture, even in Hebrews 1. It talks about long ago and in many ways and many uh, many times in many ways that God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but now He has spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is our prophet. Jesus Christ is our priest. Jesus Christ is our king. So Jesus is our prophet. But then He goes on to talk about, you know, people that say, I'm a prophet. And He says, you know you're a prophet when demons um, listen to you, when hell is threatened by your presence. Again, this is focused on self. This is focused on the elevation of man uh, or woman, the elevation of us as human beings, and basically saying that the devil listens to us, that 
that hell is threatened by your presence. I'm going to do a study on hell, actually, in the very near future. I have a list of topics I want to cover, but I think there's a misunderstanding of hell. And even uh, we tend to listen to people that say they've been to hell and they've seen all these things. But we need to do a biblical study, I think, in, in understanding hell. But And he says, you're a prophet when you're unstoppable. This is not scripturally based. Uh, again, I would say just, you know, chapter and verse. Where is this in scripture? It says, this is what defines a prophet. A prophet was a mouthpiece for God, just like the apostles were, that were testifying of, uh, the prophets testified of the coming Messiah. They called the people to repent. They called the people to turn from their wicked ways, to turn from idolatry, to turn from their adultery against God, and to turn back to him and to be cleansed by God, to be purified by God. We cannot purify ourselves. We cannot cleanse ourselves. This is the, this is God's doing in us. So he talks about this. It's very, but it's very self-centered. It's very self that, that the devil's afraid of you. The devil's not afraid of you and he's not afraid of me. He bows to one, he bows to one and one only. And that is to God. He does not bow to us. He's not, he does not bow to us and he's not afraid of us. And hell is not threatened by us. Hell is a place where people go, including demons, for their eternal torment and punishment for their, for their rebellion against God. It is not the devil's playground. It is not, it is not a place where, you know, the, the demons are having fun. It is not. It is a place of eternal torment and punishment for sin and rebellion against God, both human beings and demons, including Satan, including the false prophet, and including the Antichrist that will be thrown into the lake of fire. This is a place of eternal torment. So no, hell is not threatened by your presence and you're not a real prophet when demons listen to you. True prophecy testifies of Jesus Christ. True prophecy is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Prophecy is also inspired preaching from the word of God. And every time that the word of God is proclaimed, there is prophecy that is going forth that has already been fulfilled testifying of Jesus Christ. You're not a prophet because you're unstoppable. These are, again, little sound bites that are made in order to puff people up and to make much of ourselves when we're nothing before God. Without, apart from Christ, we are nothing. We can do nothing. We are nothing apart from Christ. We've got to understand who God is and that God is first and foremost, and he is, he's preeminent, he is supreme, and he's the one that demons tremble at, not us. There, there has been this false... Uh, belief system made that we are these big powerful people that the demons and that Satan fears that is untrue and it's unbiblical and it's not founded in scripture and that should be the place that we go to to find the truth and not someone giving great sound bites great hashtags great little memes or anything like that that would and or that would allude to that we are some great person that is so wonderful and that and to puff up our egos uh, he goes on in, ver in, uh, in at the hour and 25 minute mark, he goes on to say, you need a prophetic lens to the, to discern the time and your time. Uh, and this was another interesting thing that he said uh, a few minutes later. I want to play this for you and I want to expound on this because I think this is an important thing. It kind of goes away from, in a sense, the prophetic lens. But I think this is something that needs to be clarified because he made this statement and I actually took a little bit of time to, to look into this and to see if this was truly a teaching 
where this came from, who else believes along these lines, but he makes a statement here. There's a few more things we're going to cover and then we're going to be done. I appreciate you guys hanging with me for this whole time. So let me play this clip for you and we're going to talk about it in a biblical context. Ephesians 1.22 said Jesus is the head of the church. They pierced his side and the church came out. With what? With his blood. Every sin I would ever think about coming, his blood came out. The foundations of the earth that God wanted to redeem, his blood came out. The voice of cities and nations and prophetic destiny, his blood came out. They were waiting in the upper room for the fulfillment of what issued forth. Jesus said, a new covenant I give unto you, and it's a covenant of my blood. On the cross when they pierced him, God took what the devil meant for bad and turned it around for good. Watch this. If I've got enough Jesus in me, when I'm pierced, grace is going to come out. Redemption's going to come out. Mercy's going to come out. Foundation's going to come out. Healing's going to come out. The problem is most of us, when we get pierced, our BC revelation comes out. The part of us that believes Jesus didn't finish it for me. God can't use me. I need 15 signs and 13 wonders. But when they pierced Jesus, the church came out of him. As Eve came out of Adam, picturing Christ in the church. God had to put Adam under Holy Ghost anesthesia so he didn't feel the the breaking that was coming of a bride. Jesus did not get the same luxury because he was a sacrificial lamb. There was no anesthesia. He was writhing with pain unrecognizable by the time he came to the cross because of the hellish beating he endured. And the devil had a demonized man pierced his side, an innocent savior. But what the devil didn't know is the church came out. Okay. So I was a bit confused. Uh, I had never heard this teaching before and never heard this quote revelation of the church coming out. So he says, uh, the, they pierced his side and his church came out. His blood came out. And that's actually partially true. Because when you look in scripture at the particular verse when it talks about this, we'll look at in just a moment. Uh, one of the accounts when it talks about the, that the Roman soldier pierced his side, which was, by the way, not a demon-possessed man, not someone that Satan sent. We're going to look at this in, in the scriptural context and I'm going to help you here. Uh, actually, blood and water came out. And medically speaking, there is a reason behind this. Uh, And then scripturally speaking, we're going to look at that. So medically speaking, what happened was when the Roman soldier pierced his heart, the, the spear, which was, I believe, six or eight feet, six to eight feet long that went in, that it actually pierced his heart. When it went into his side, it pierced up into the thoracic cavity, which is your chest, and it pierced his heart, which pierced the pericardium. Now, the pericardium is the, the sac that's around the heart. There can be times where there can be fluid that accumulates around the heart. It's called pericardial effusion. Now, when the Roman soldier pierced Jesus's heart and uh, blood and water came out, that was a that was uh, to testify or confirm. Let me say that that was to confirm that he was indeed dead. And we're going to see this in a few minutes in in John. So hang with me, please. Because I think this is an important point to bring up, and this was a, this is a teaching that he was talking about. He's saying this profound. He it sounds like a profound revelation, but Roman Catholics believe this. I came across across a Roman Catholic. I don't know if all Roman Catholics believe this, but Roman Catholics 
uh, believe this, that the church came out and they, they uh, compare it to Adam, to Eve being uh, made from the rib of Adam. And so they equate it with this. The typology doesn't fit. Uh, blood and water. It wasn't just the, the blood of Jesus that came out. His heart was pierced and also the fluid that was around his heart in the pericardial sac came out with it because they were both pierced. So blood and water came out. Um, and he took and he says uh, that God took what the devil meant for bad and he turned it for good. Now, having said all that, this is what he said with, with the church coming out. This is not a new concept. Again, I said the Roman Catholics believe this. So, and then there were some first century church teachings that uh, propagated this. That was uh, origin. I came across St. John Chrysostom um, also said something that alluded to this. But this is a teaching that some people will say, and they'll use this as a, a mystical way or a, a prophetic revelation of the church coming out here. But there's some discrepancies here. So let's take a look. Uh, we need to consider Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 tells us, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. It says in scripture that it, it pleased the Lord. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It pleased the Lord to crush Christ. Now, that sounds sadistic to people that don't understand it, but that's, it's not a, a, a sadism that happened there. What happened was is that it pleased the Lord because he knew that it was going to reconcile people back to himself, which is what he wanted. He wanted people not to be separated from him and to suffer and incur his wrath. And the people that don't believe in Christ, they are still under judgment as what scripture tells us and that they are condemned already according to John 3.18 and that they will have to answer for that. There will be justice that they will incur the wrath of God when they reject Christ. So considering 50, Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to crush him. This was not a demonic thing that this man did. Acts 2.23, I want to turn there. This is going to mess with some people in saying this, and maybe you haven't come across this, but it's something you need to be aware of. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, this Jesus, Peter is ministering on the day of Pentecost, and he's He's proclaiming to the people um, about the signs and wonders that are taking place and the day of the Lord, the great magnificent day, which that's a day of judgment, um, that uh, a man attested to you by God, I'll back, back up to verse half of verse 22, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst because it t he testified of himself as the Messiah by doing those signs and wonders at your, uh, as you yourselves know. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the de definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So again, God's sovereignty is on display here. God knew this was his foreordained plan, foreknowledge, his definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was God's plan to put his son on the cross. And at the same time, human responsibility is here. You crucified and you killed him by the hands of lawless men. And the gospel was ministered to these people. We know the 3,000 souls came to the, to the kingdom of God that day because of, G, of uh, Peter calling them to the forgiveness of their sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit to flee, to save themselves from this crooked generation. The only way they could save themselves was to turn to Christ, who was the Lord and Savior. Because you can't deliver yourself and you can't save yourself. The only way you can do that is to hear the, pro the proclamation of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, to turn or repent of your sins, and to trust and faith in Christ alone to save you and to give you the promise of eternal life. 
So I disagree with this statement. The church was not born from the piercing of his side. He was dead after that happened. This was to fulfill other scripture, as we'll talk about in just a minute. I disagree with this statement because the word says nothing about this, even in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, when it, when it recollects the gospel, when Paul is re- recalling the gospel, that he says, that, uh, you know, I presented this gospel to you that, that Jesus was crucified, that he was dead and he was buried and he was raised again on the third day. This was their way of confirming death. There was no mention of this in the part of the gospel, as I said. And as we're going to see, as I read to you in John chapter 19, you're going to see the significance of this. Because, again, this was prophesied in Scripture, guys. This was prophesied in Scripture. There, there's no mystical thing going on here that, that, uh, that they pierced his side and the church came out. No, that's not actually not what happened. Actually, after Jesus Christ died, the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And it signified that there was no longer a separation that anybody who could come before God. Only through Jesus Christ, though. That's, he's the only way to the Father. So that's the only way that people could come to Christ. But John chapter 19, verse 33 through 37. Listen to this. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead... They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. This is John. He was there when it happened. He saw it take place. He's confirming it by his own witness. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken And again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. We see that this was done after death to confirm death and to fulfill prophecy. (laughs) This fulfilled prophecy. I mean, when you even look in my, in my footnotes, in my, in my Bible here, in my ESV Bible is what I'm reading from in case you want to know the, it says for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. What things took place? Not one of his bones were broken. They came to the other two, the two thieves, and they found that they were not dead yet. So they broke their legs. So that way, in crucifixion, it's a horrible way to die because you ultimately die from asphyxiation. Furthermore, they were trying to speed up their death because if they couldn't prop themselves up, then they ba- they basically would asphyxiate and they would die. So they broke the legs of the two thieves, the two robbers. And then they came to Jesus and they see that Jesus was already dead. They did not break his legs. And so one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And that's when the blood and water came out. Not the church. The blood and water came out. This was, again, and John saying here plainly, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true because they would have known in that time with crucifixion, if that were to take place, that, 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 that Jesus truly did die on the cross, that he was not alive. There was no conspiracy theory that he survived the crucifixion and that he was able to to circumvent all of that and to, to play some great elusive hoax on, on the world. That did not happen. What did happen was is that the, the Son of God died on the cross for our sins. He died. And then he rose again the third day. So John's testifying. And then he says, For these things, the piercing of the side and no breaking of the bones took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. That is referencing Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, and Numbers chapter 9, verse 12. And again, 
Another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. That is referencing Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Guys, we've got to get back to the Word of God. We've got to get back to the Bible, and we can't just be taking, it doesn't matter who it is. We've got to get back to the Word of God and make sure that what we are seeing and what we are hearing and what we are saying is lining up with Scripture. This is not, this is not anywhere in Scripture uh, to tell us that this is a, a proper teaching. And he goes on to say, if I have enough of Jesus in me, then I'm when I'm pierced, grace will come out, mercy will come out, and foundations will come out, and reconciliation will come out, redemption will come out. I'm not Jesus. I mean, this is this is equating, you know, what Christ did on the cross and basically saying when I've had a, when I have enough of Jesus in me, then when I'm pierced, no, that's that is not biblically based. We have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, dwelling within us, the Spirit of Christ. We have Him dwelling within us. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. He is the one that's helping us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He is the one that's helping us to develop fruit with spiritual maturity, that we don't walk in the ways of the flesh, that we're not led by the works of flesh, but by the Spirit of God. He is the one that's helping us to testify of Jesus Christ. He is the one that's helping us to ever be conformed and go from faith to faith and glory to glory. He is the one that's helping us. It's not if I have enough of Jesus in me that then when I'm pierced, I am not, I don't even know what it even feels like, can't even comprehend being crucified because of what he did, that we can be alive in Christ, that we are hidden in Christ because of him. It's always pointing back to him. And this message, sadly, seems to be, again, putting the emphasis on us. It's the emphasis on the wrong syllable. It's putting emphasis on man and how what we can do if we just have enough of Jesus Christ in us. If we just have enough, what does that mean? What does that mean, if I have enough of Jesus in me? I'd like to know what that means. When, when the statement's made like that, what does that even mean, if I have enough of, of Jesus in me? Because then it's, again, it's putting this works-based salvation on you. You can agree or disagree with me on that. It's okay. But it seems like it's saying, if you just do enough, if you just have enough of Jesus because of what you're doing, then you'll be able, when you're pierced, when people are haters against you and they're doing all these things, then you can extend grace and you can extend mercy and you can da-da-da-da-da. Go back to the Bible to, to tell you how you're supposed to conduct yourself. That, that would be my suggestion to you. Lastly, he talks about the prophets and the prophetic lens of this hour, that they should be revealing the glorious church, a church without spot, without blemish. And he says, do you know what the false, uh, do you know what the spots and blemishes are? They are false teachings and understandings. That's at the two hour, 30 minute mark. You can take a listen to that. For time's sake, I'll stop with, with any of the clips. But actually, that's not what the spots and blemishes are. Spots and blemishes on the bride that we see, the church without spot or blemish. Let's end actually with Ephesians. The best way to end is with the word of God, not with uh, man's understanding, but with the word of God itself. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we see that uh, Paul is talking to the 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 believers in Ephesus, and he's telling about the husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
God is the one who cleanses us. Christ is the one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He's the one that purifies us. We cannot cleanse our garments. We cannot, so to speak, we cannot cleanse ourselves. If you want to, I'm saying garments because it's not about physically cleansing a garment that you're wearing. This is about being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we're washed by the uh, the water of the word that the word helps us. It helps us to walk in the ways of, of righteousness when we're led by the spirit. How do you know how to be led by the spirit if you don't know what the Bible says? You're not going to know. You're going to think that when you hear the voice of God in your own way, that you know the ways to walk in. But how do you how do you know that if you haven't read the word of God? What if you're hearing something that's contradicting what scripture says to do? What if you have a low view of scripture, but you have a high view of hearing God for yourself and there's, there's contention there between them. There's disagreement. Who do you listen to? Do you listen to the voice that's speaking to you because you have a prophetic lens or do you listen to the word of God that's already given a more sure word of prophecy? I mean, we've got to be willing to go back to scripture and look at what scripture says in context. And the, the spots and blemishes are not false teaching and understanding. The, the spots and blemishes are sin. And the only way for those things to be cleansed is through Jesus Christ. And we are continuously sanctified. This is a progressive sanctification that we're walking in as we're born again. We're not saved from a fallen world. We are still in a fallen world, in case you haven't noticed that. (laughs) We are still in a fallen world that is yet redeemed, that is yet to see the new heavens and the new earth to be back into its redemptive state. It's groaning to see that. And we groan in our inward bodies, as the, as the scripture tells us. We groan in our inward bodies because we long to be in our heavenly bodies. We long to be glorified before God. Not to elevate ourselves, but we long to be in that perfected state where there's no more sin. There's no more suffering. There's no more, there's no more of, of this, these hardships and these trials that we're going through. But dear believer, if you're listening to me, I want you to be encouraged by the word of God. You can't cleanse yourself. There's nothing that you're going to be able to do to cleanse yourself. And that should give you great comfort to know that if you're a true believer in Christ, that should get take a load off of your shoulders to know that it's not based on what you're doing. Yes, you do. There is responsibility on your part in the sense that God wants you to understand what the word says and he wants you to be conformed to his image and he wants you to do good works that, that glorify him and testify of him. But your salvation is not based on anything that you've done. Jonathan Edwards has a great quote that I have written on a whiteboard in in our uh, a room in our house, and it says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And we are to be washed and cleansed by Christ. These Those spots and wrinkles are not going to come out of our garments without the washing and the cleansing from Jesus Christ. And the word helps us to walk in that progressive sanctification, to know the way that we should walk, to stay on the narrow path to walk in the ways of the Lord and to know what pleases him and what grieves him and what he abhors and hates. That should be helpful to you. And Matthew 13, it has nothing to do with a prophetic lens. This is talking about Jesus talking in parables to the people of Israel and a prophecy being fulfilled that they would not see or perceive. They would not, they would not see and, and, and they would not understand. They would not perceive what was going on. And again, it had to go back to God's sovereignty, human responsibility, and God extending mercy rather than further condemnation because of them not understanding. As someone who came out of this movement and who, and as someone who for years was part of a church that Ryan founded, I pray for him and his family 
that they that the mercy of God would be extended to them, that they would turn from their ways because there are things being taught for shameful gain that should not be taught. There are things that are being taught that are negating what the Bible is saying. There are things that are being perpetuated out of monetary gain. There are people that are being that are being led astray. And that is my concern. There's not only deception uh, being taught, but there are people that uh, the person teaching it has, there's deception there. And then there's people that are being led into further deception. And I believe that there are truly sheep in there that, that are God's people that are being deceived. There are people that are in there that are truly born again, but they're being deceived. And I'm saying this to you as, as in an urgent way. Please test what you're hearing. Please go back to the word of God. God is merciful and he is gracious. And there are many of us that can testify to that. And I am one of those. I am thankful every day that God opened my eyes to the truth. The more that I read scripture and what it means, truly means in its context, the more I fall in love, the more I love reading the word of God, the more I I, gl- I want to glorify God in all that I do and the more freedom that I realize that I walk in and that, that I'm not striving, that I'm not having to do all these things and jump through these hoops in order for God to love me. I'm not trying to earn anything or I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not or I'm not trying to work up a prophecy or I'm not trying to work up a revelation or not trying to 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 shout or jump or, you know, be under condemnation from man. And I'm not being told that I can't ask questions that I'm not being told that I have a demon because, because I'm asking questions or that we could go on and all of us could have a share. And so I want to, I want to extend an urgent plea. Please listen to this. Test what I'm saying. Please go back to scripture and ask yourself the questions. If you're listening to this and you were in in these services. And the reason why I'm doing this with such urgency is that this is a new church that's being planted. And my concern is for the people that are there that are listening to teachings that are not teaching them and training them up in righteousness, that they're leading them astray with false doctrine, with, with extra biblical revelation that has nothing to do with glorifying and testifying of Christ. And if they were to go with questions, my concern is that they're going to be met with hostility and they're going to be met with you can't ask questions because you're challenging an apostle. You're challenging the founder of this this house. You're challenging, you're, you're doing these certain things and you're not allowed to do that. I'm saying these things with urgency because I care and I love people. And I want you to go back to the word of God and to ask yourself the questions. Do I understand the scripture better after hearing this message? If you want to listen to this message, like I said, the link will be provided. But please ask yourself. Have I heard the true gospel? Am I, do I understand the, the scripture better after listening to the message? And would I come away, would I come away from this message? Would I come away from the Bible reading it on my own before hearing his message, having the same understanding that he presented? I want you to think about those questions. Honestly, think about them. Please make sure that you, you've heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that sin came into the world through Adam. That Adam, that Adam rebelled against God, and because of that disobedience, that sin came into the world, and spiritual death came with it. But because of Jesus Christ coming, and He dying on the cross for us, for the for the atonement for our sins, that that He took the payment for the punishment and the wrath that we deserved. He took upon Him the full wrath of God. 
that through him that we can have eternal life. When we repent and we answer the call of repent and believe in the gospel, to, to believe in him who is the true Christ, to, to turn from our ways and to believe in him by grace through faith in Christ alone to save us. And then we know that all the old things have passed away. The new has come. We are made new in Christ. We are now children of God, no longer children of wrath, no longer children of the devil, but that we, and that we no longer have the wrath of God abiding on us, but now we have God's love abiding on us, but we have joy and peace in God and that his spirit can lead us into all truth and that his spirit can continue to conform us even more to the image of Christ and that we trust him and him alone and that we look to him and that we believe what the word of God says. We believe the truth of the word of God and that we go to that as our, our sole foundation. Please test what I'm saying and please test what Ryan is saying and make sure that what you're hearing is from the word of God in the proper context. This is not a contest to see who's right and who's wrong. This is coming from someone who has been part of this ministry at some point for a long time. And I'm saying this with love and with great concern. So I hope that you take that in consideration. And I hope that you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Be blessed by this word today. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.